Well, I feel like our song set today has uh, been a sermon in itself, and it really has beautifully already communicated everything that I want to speak about from the Word of God today. In fact, uh, after the, all of those songs that we've sung and the truth that is contained in them, I, I feel a little ill-equipped uh, to make remarks that would uh, go beyond the message that we've heard in a lot of these songs. But I praise the Lord that the Word of God is powerful, and we're going to read it today, and we're going to hear it proclaimed today, and we're going to relish everything that God has done for us And uh, as we continue to talk about sanctification. And uh, sanctification is not easy. It's just not. It's not easy. And it doesn't happen fast. It's unfortunate that sometimes we think that, well, I can just uh, come to church a couple of times. I can be encouraged. I can make a few little changes in my life and maybe just kind of tip my hat to God. And then all of a sudden, all of my problems are gone. It wouldn't be great if it worked that way, but it's not. Uh, sometimes we feel like that, well, maybe if I just you know, read a few Bible verses here and there and come to church, and then all of a sudden, there's no more sin in my life, and I'm where God wants me to be. Wouldn't it be great if it happened that way? But it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It is a lifelong Ironman. It is a race that we run, uh, and it never ends. And in this, uh, in this walk of seeking to be like Jesus and seeking to be sanctified, there's both blessings, but there's also hardships. There's hardships along the way, and there's struggles that we face. And we love to hear about the blessings, uh, and of course, we celebrate the blessings of, what it, of, of, of walking with God and what happens whenever we walk with God and the blessings that we receive. And we celebrate those. There are lots of places in Scripture that talk about that. But we've been looking at some of the ways that we struggle, some of the ways that we struggle to be godly. And uh, there really are two ways that we see struggle that test our faith. Two ways that we see the testing of our faith. Number one is temptations, and the other is trials. And it's interesting, the distinction between these two. And if you've read James chapter 1 lately, you can see that both of these are intertwined. The testing of our faith involves tr temptations, but also involves trials. Temptations would be those times in our life that we struggle with sin. We've read this already and gone through all of this as we went through Romans chapter 7. And we saw this cycle of sanctification, this inner struggle that we have with sin. But there's also trials that we face. Trials aren't necessarily associated with sin as much as they are associated with the pain and the suffering that is related to the circumstances of our life. We see this in James chapter 1, but we also see this in Romans chapter 8. And that's what we're going to talk, talk about today. And we're going to see how God uses persecution or sickness or various problems or anxiety or different things that happen into our life that cause us to suffer. We're going to see how God uses both of these, both temptations and trials to point us to what it means to have victory in Christ. And so the title of my message today is Sanctified by Suffering. I really struggled with the title today because I believe that the passages that we're going to read today, they talk a lot about suffering, but they talk a lot also about eternity. And so really what we're going to read today is we're going to read how all of the different sufferings and struggles and temptations 
temptations and trials that we do have in this life, they all point us to a place in eternity. And you probably haven't uh, really picked that up in these verses that we're about to read, but man, the verses that we're going to read next week, I guarantee you they have been among some of your favorite memory verses as you have been walking with God. But let's read together Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. I invite you to stand with me as we look at these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I want you to, I want you to say that verse with me. Let's go back to that slide if you don't mind. I want you to say that verse with me. Let's say it together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That sets the tone for the whole remaining chapter of Romans, of Romans chapter 8. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that today, as we have already done, Lord, through worship and through song, through music, and now through the reading of your word, and soon through the preaching of your word, God, I pray that you would draw our minds to eternity. I pray, Lord, that you would transport us spiritually and mentally to a place today where we're not thinking about the things of this world, but, Lord, that we would, uh, we would just focus upon what you have prepared for us in eternity. And show us, Lord, today how you use all of these problems and struggles and trials of life to point us ultimately to what you have prepared for us in eternity. We love you for what you have done for us, and we offer you praise today, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Have you ever been in a place or in a position where you desired to leave? I think that we all have. I felt this way in my last semester of seminary. I just wanted it to be over. Every class that I walked into, I was like, oh, is this ever going to end? I could not wait for it to be finished. I think I felt that way uh, with every degree that I ever got. But maybe you, maybe you feel that way when you're sitting in a traffic jam. Uh, we got some holidays coming up, fall break, and many people are going to be traveling. You get out on the interstate, it's not long before you hit a traffic jam. And you know those times whenever you hit a traffic jam and it doesn't move, and it's backed up for miles and miles, and you just say to yourself, I just want to escape this. I have to get out of here. I felt that way whenever 
my wife and children took me to see the movie Frozen whenever it first came out. In all of these things, you just want to escape. You just want it to be over. You just say, I just want it to end right now. There's no reason for this. There's no purpose for this. I just want it to be over. Maybe you feel that way about some problems that you have in life or some struggles, some trials, some suffering maybe that you have undergone lately. And that's the natural approach. The natural approach is there's no purpose for this, suffering, I don't want this in my life. I want it to end, I want it to be over right now, and I just want to be on the other side of this so it's just finished with and so it's done. That's our natural approach. And there really is no difference in that approach than what people who aren't Christians are. If we find ourselves as Christians embracing that type of approach, well, we're really, we're really no different than anybody else. And so there's a spiritual approach that God wants us to take whenever we're experiencing trials and temptations and suffering and situations where naturally we just say, I just want to escape this. There's a spiritual approach. And the spiritual approach basically says there's purpose there's purpose in my struggling. We're going to get to this next week whenever we look at this verse, Romans 8, 28, that I know that many of you have committed to memory in your life. But we say, the spiritual approach says there's purpose in this. A spiritual approach would say there is something that God is doing to sanctify me through this suffering. And to my point today, a spiritual approach to suffering says that this suffering is meant to point me to something else beyond this life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how suffering has spiritual purposes. This, verse, this first verse that I asked you to say with me, this would be a great memory verse for you to, for you to memorize uh, this week. If you're going through a particular problem or if you've faced particular sufferings and you're going through them at this time, I think this would be a great memory verse because it's a comparison and it's a contrast. There's really no comparison between the two, the two things that are presented in this verse, the sufferings of this present time. So this is, it's not even worth comparing, not even worth, worth placing side by side and giving any kind of comparison between the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That is not speaking about a glory that's going to be revealed in you in the here and now. This is speaking about an eternal glory that God has prepared for us. And while there can be many purposes behind why we suffer, uh, one of these purposes is to sanctify us by turning our minds away from the things of this world and placing our minds and our hearts and our thoughts on eternity. You know, if you want to read a great book about suffering, I, I wanted to recommend one to you because my purpose today is not to go into a, a, a full you know, doctrine or theology of suffering, but really just to show you how suffering uh, points us to eternity, which is the point of the passage. But I wanted to, I wanted to recommend a book to you, uh, and I don't do this very often, but this one I thought was particularly good. It's called Suffering is Never for Nothing. Suffering is Never for Nothing. And it's a book by uh, Elizabeth Elliot. If you want to, if, if you're facing some suffering right now and you just want to 
Uh, you just want to read something that will help you see uh, some purposes behind why we suffer. It's, it's, and you can see it's not, a, it's not a thick book. I don't read a lot of thick books because I'm a slow reader and I'm dumb. So I read the little thin books like that one. Um, but uh, I just want to commend that to you. Now, what I, do, what I don't want to do today is I don't want to diminish our present sufferings. We never want to diminish those. We know that our sufferings are real. We don't ever want to go up to someone and just say, ah, don't worry about it. You'll go to heaven one day. I mean, we don't, want to just, we don't want to just blow past suffering and just kind of dismiss suffering in our life or in other people's life. It's easy for us to do it for other people, right? Oh, don't worry about it, brother. You're going to be okay. Jesus loves you, and you're going to be in heaven one day, and then everything's going to be okay. Yeah, that's great until, it's your, you, until you're the one that's suffering, and then you feel um, how burdensome and how painful it is. So we never want to diminish this. I mean, we all experience some general suffering. It happens all around us in this world. Creation is groaning under the weight of the suffering. We also experience some specific suffering, personal problems, whether it be sickness or financial or relational or whatever it might be. But then we have these spiritual sufferings. And this is kind of an added burden that is given to the people of God. Uh, sufferings related to trying to live as a Christian. As if general suffering and specific suffering wasn't enough, then I become a Christian and now I have this whole spiritual suffering thing, whether it be through persecution or temptation or trials or whatever it might be. And so we ask ourselves, why doesn't God just end it? You ever wonder that? Why, why doesn't God just end it? I mean, if he's a loving God and he's powerful, why doesn't he just stop it? Guess what? He is in the process of doing exactly that. He has a plan to put an end to all of it. It's just not immediate. It's, it's not an immediate plan. He has a plan that he has set in motion to bring about the most immense comfort possible. But it's something that we have to wait for. It's something that we have to long for. And right now, in the here and now, suffering is meant to sanctify us by pointing us to that ultimate comfort that we're going to have in eternity. There's a companion verse, by the way, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, that also offers this contrast between our current problems and internal solution. And it says, we don't want you to, to lose heart. It says, our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then, of course, there's the encouragement that we're not supposed to look at the things that are seen, but we're supposed to look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, the things in this world, and even the problems in this world, they're transient. They come and they go. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Do you desire a temporary escape from your problems, or do you desire an eternal and permanent escape to your problems? You see, asking God to just immediately and just permanently, just right away in an immediate fashion, just to end all suffering, is like going to the doctor when you're sick with a, with a terminal illness 
and saying, you know, doc, I'm not really worried about being permanently healed. Just give me some medicine to mask the current pain. Of course, we would not say that. We might say, sure, I'll take some medicine to mask the current pain um, if, if it's available. But what I really want is I really want healing. I really, wa- I really want a permanent solution to my physical problem. Well, this is it's what it's like when we go to God and we just say, Lord, I just want you to end the suffering right now. It's like asking a doctor just to, to, put, a, uh, just to put a Band-Aid on it instead of waiting for the ultimate healing that he is going to give us in eternity. And so therefore, the most loving thing that God can do would be to delay our suf- uh, the, the solution to our suffering so that we could have a permanent resolution to all our suffering. And the Bible says that even creation itself is, is thinking in this direction and looking in this direction. The Bible puts it this way. It says creation groans. Verse 19 says the creation waits with eager longing for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage. Not immediately, not an immediate solution, but a one-day solution. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is groaning for something. But it's interesting that, to me that creation is personified as possessing emotion and desires and longing. And not just, not just on a low level, but on a high level, on a groaning level. And what creation is longing for is for the revealing. That's an interesting term, right? The revealing. This, this is not speaking about something in the here and now. This is speaking about the revealing of, of, uh, of Jesus coming back, all the events of the end time, everything that we see in the book of Revelation, all the promises that are given to us as the people of God whenever they are fulfilled. That the Bible says that creation itself is longing and groaning for all of those things to happen because even creation itself was, was subjected to what the Bible calls here corruption and futility. That word futility kind of reminds me of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And we'll read those opening chapters of, uh, of, uh, of Ecclesiastes. It talks about the futility of the things that we see in creation. And then the corruption. The corruption. Have you ever wondered why your car rusts? Why grass withers? Why your body gets sick? I mean, think about it. Why is there rust? Why is there corrosion? Why is there rotting and death? Why are there weeds in my garden? Why are there thorns in the woods? I mean, the Bible basically tells us whenever, uh, whenever mankind sinned, the Lord even cursed the ground. And you can read about it in Genesis chapter 3 that says, thorns and thistles... It shall bring forth. There's just something that's not right about that. There's something not right about things that corrode. There's something that God never intended that for there to be corrosion and rust and withering and thorns and weeds. Those were not in God's original design. Walk out into the woods and watch how creation just seems to be in harmony with itself. 
how birds and squirrel and turkey and deer and hogs and all these different creatures come together and they can all feed in the same field and not be scared of one another. But as soon as they see you, what do they do? They all scatter. There's something not right about that. There's something that is, this, that is not right about this world. Even in the created order, things are not right. And creation itself is longing to be released, is groaning to be released. And so are we. The Bible calls it an inward groan in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. This is not only the creation, but we ourselves. Look at this. Who had the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. You should underline that in your Bible and highlight it and circle it and put brackets around it. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. That's what the Spirit of God desires to do in you whenever you are walking through this world and experience all the problems and all the trials and all the suffering that we have in life, the Holy Spirit of God is bringing about an inward groan in which we patiently await for eternity. That's what the Spirit of God desires to do inside of us. The Spirit of God moves on our hearts so that we desire escape from this world. Not so that we would desire to somehow make this world heaven on earth. I asked you a little while ago, what are some situations that you've been in to where you just say, I just want it to be over. I just want it to end. This is what the Spirit of God does inside of us. Now listen, I don't mean that we have some, some morbid desire for death, but we should have a longing, a groaning desire inside of us to see all of the events of the consummation of the kingdom of God as recorded in Scripture. We should have a groaning desire inside of us to see all of that happen. You see, our natural tendency is to groan for this world to be perfect. Oh, I really want to finish that degree. Oh, I really want to graduate from high school. Oh, I really want that car. Oh, I really just groan for that job. I really just wish I could find that right relationship. I really just wish that I could fix my marriage. Oh, I just really wish that I had the money that I need. Oh, I just groan for that, that, good, uh, that good report whenever I go to the doctor. We just groan for the things of this world. And we find ourselves easy even as Christians. We look for them and groan for them and search for them. And they're on our minds constantly. This world is never going to be perfect. It's just not going to happen. I know you don't come to church to hear these comments. Sometimes I wonder why I say these things. Sometimes I'm like, I can't believe people just don't leave here and just go someplace else where they can hear something positive. But I can't help it. It just says it right there. I mean, the Bible just tells us this world is not right. The Bible says you are an alien, that you are a stranger. And this world is just never going to be right. I know we would like to think all oh, things are just going to get better for us. Things, things are going to get better. Listen, I hope you experience all the blessings that God has for you in this life. I really do. I look for God's blessings. I pray for God's blessings. I ask for God's blessings. But this world is rusting and corroding and rotting. And things are not right here. 
And it's the same with us. And they're never going to be right. Our hearts should groan for and long for something else because God has given us his spirit. He's given us a taste of what it's like. First fruits, I I like that. Um, How many of you like to pick strawberries? I love to pick strawberries. We used to do that as a family. Every year uh, in the spring, we'd go, we'd, we'd pick strawberries. And my wife, Kelly, she has this killer dessert that she makes. And I don't, really, I don't really know what it's called, but she makes some kind of biscuity-looking, doughy-type thing. And then she'll take these strawberries, and she makes some kind of, some kind of juice. I call it juice because it's just thick. And it's not juice, juice, because it is thick and it is sugary and it is sweet. And I mean, I will just slather that stuff. And of course, it has big chunks of, of like diced up strawberries in it and it falls on it. And it's so good. And so when we're out there picking strawberries, man, I'm picking those strawberries. I'm thinking about that dessert. I'm picking those strawberries. I pick, take up one. Take a little taste. Mm, you pick that strawberry up off the vine, and you take that first little taste, that fruit. And what does it remind me? It makes me think about Kelly is going to make that incredible dessert for me. See, that's what the Spirit of God does. The Lord sends His Spirit to come and live inside of us and indwell us and give us just a taste. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord's good. In the, New, in the New Testament, the Spirit is, it's like it's described like a down payment. A down payment's not the full payment. And, I don't, and, and please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we only get a portion of God whenever we receive the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying that we re- only receive a portion of all of the spiritual blessings that God has prepared for us in the future. We don't taste of the Spirit of God and then have a longing for this world. The Spirit of God does something different. We taste of the Spirit of God, and He creates in us a longing for eternal things and a longing for spiritual things. And it is a groan. What is a spiritual groan? A spiritual groan, and we see this in Scripture. It's when the Spirit uses suffering to generate in us a longing for eternity. See, three times in chapter 8, we see this word groan. It says that creation groans, and the Bible says that we also groan. We have an inward groan. And then we're going to look at this passage next week. It talks about how through prayer, the Holy Spirit uh, intercedes for us with groans that cannot be uttered. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 15 is kind of a companion passage that talks about this groaning. And it's the same message, the same, the, uh, the same context, uh, the same words, talking about the tent of this body. We groan while we're in it because we want to be in our heavenly dwelling. And it says we're groaning, and we're burdened. And we're not, we're not groaned and burdened because of the world. We're, we're groaned and burdened because we want to be someplace else. And that's, that's a big difference. It's, it's not groaning because I'm suffering in this life. And this is really important. Because we don't want to be like, oh, I'm groaning because of this. Oh, I got all this. And nobody wants to be around someone that eats worms all day. I mean, they just don't. Oh, this is just hard. Oh, I'm just going through this. Oh, I'm just going. That's not the kind of groaning that we're talking about. The holy, although our problems are real, and we want to encourage one another. I'm not saying that. 
But the groaning is not a physical groaning. The groaning is a spiritual groaning, a longing for the things of eternity. That's what the Spirit of God does to us. And this inward groan in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, points us specifically to two things. Number one, our adoption as sons. He said, well, I've already been adopted. Yes, one day you will be fully adopted. You will literally, you will literally physically through the redemption of your body be brought into the presence and into the household of God in heaven. And the Bible says that is what we should long for and this should be our hope. Romans 8:24 talks about our eternal hope. Four times in this verse it talks about hope. What do you hope for? You know, I find that when I come up to people a lot of times, and, if, and you will come up to me sometimes and ask me, say, what do you hope for? Well, I, I, I hope that my kids make good grades. I hope that my kids have jobs one day. I hope that my wife keeps loving me. Uh, I, I hope that, I mean, I can come up with all, all kinds of hopes related to my kids, related to my marriage, related to my church, related to my health, related to things that I want. That's not the hope that the Holy Spirit gives us not hope for things in this life. The Holy Spirit gives us hope for eternity and hope for things in the future. And that's why suffering leads to hope. And this hope gives us victory, which is the theme of the whole chapter. At the end of chapter 8, we're going to read those beautiful words two Sundays from now. We're going to read those beautiful words where the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Because when we face temptations... Like in Romans chapter 7, we have victory. When we face trials and suffering, like in Romans chapter 8, we have victory. And so uh, the writer of Romans is going to say, what's going to separate us from the love of God? going to make all this list, and the end conclusion is nothing is going to separate us. We are more than conquerors. And on that day, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Two weeks from today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and we're going to celebrate the victory that we have been, ha that we, that we have been given in Christ. Let me ask you a question today as we move into a time of response. Um, in Romans chapter 8, I've talked about several things that have to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. And I've got a list here for you of some things that we have talked about um, uh, that are uh, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. He removes condemnation. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That he makes us righteous. He makes us spiritually minded. He gives us new life. He kills the old desires inside of us. He provides assurance of salvation. And then, of course, today we talked about he makes us groan for eternity. And so I, I just ask you the question again that I've been asking for several weeks now. Are these things happening in you? At some level, these things should be taking place in your life. All of these things should be happening. And if, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, you might not know some of the truth that lies behind some of these statements and how embedded they are in Romans chapter 8. But these are the, some things that the Spirit of God does in your life. Are they happening? Are they happening in your life? Have you experienced these things? If not, we just obviously want to offer you an opportunity to call on Jesus. So let's bow our heads and let's...